Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And you can support the show using the Super Thanks button if you're listening on YouTube. It's a dollar sign button. You can press right on the video, and I want to thank a listener for supporting the program that way. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And I want to welcome Sean and James as our latest Patreon supporters, both at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, October the 22nd, 1952. And the title is The Butterfly Chasers. Dangerous Assignment, transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to wind up with my getting shot at. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, I want you to drop in on a group of butterfly chasers. I think the word is lepidopterist, but I wouldn't bet on it. Go to the head of the class. At the moment, they're somewhere in the jungles of Brazil, south of the Amazon. Now, when I say I want you to drop in on them... You mean just that, huh? I parachute? Okay, Commissioner. What's it all about? Recently, Steve, there was a meeting in Rio between U.S. representatives and diplomats from several Latin American countries. Important decisions were reached, commitments made, and agreements signed. A copy of that agreement was dispatched to the United States by courier, but had never arrived in Washington. The plane in which the courier was riding crashed in a remote area of the Brazilian coast. All hands lost? Yes. Our investigators checked the region, but can learn little from either the natives or the group of butterfly people who happened to be in the area at the time. So we assume that the courier and the document has been lost. We were wrong, Steve. We've just learned from contacts in Brazil that the document has been put up for sale at the city of Belém. What? And here's the joker, Steve. Delivery guaranteed as of the first of next month. What does that suggest to you? Well, the document is on its way there and... Hey, wait a minute. The butterfly chasers. Right. They're scheduled to arrive in Belém just about that time. My hunch is that someone in that group has the document. Get down there, Steve. It's vitally important we recover that document. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell, 
on another dangerous assignment. Before we bring you tonight's dangerous assignment adventure, let me tell you about tomorrow's fine comedy on the NBC Radio Network. Yes, tomorrow you'll hear the Bob Hope Show and Fibber McGee and Molly, and Eddie Cantor will bring you his show business show. There's always entertainment when Fibber and Molly open wide the doors at 79 Wistful Vista. And tomorrow, from Palm Springs, California, Bob Hope will have Bing Crosby, Marilyn Maxwell, and Charlie Farrell as his special guests. And Eddie Cantor's show business show will present a program of Italian entertainers. Bob Hope, Fibber McGee and Molly, Eddie Cantor. Yes, hear all three tomorrow on NBC. Sure, I've got my assignment. Get down to South America, catch up to a group of butterfly chasers somewhere in the jungle of Brazil and find out which member of the party is carrying a highly confidential document belonging to the United States. It's a hunk of political dynamite, and we want it back before it's sold to the highest bidder. It's early Friday evening when my plane lands in Belém. Captain Arcata of the local law hustles me into another plane, and a few minutes later, we're airborne, heading west over the jungle. The manual contact when you reach your destination, Senor Mitchell, is Sergeant Romero. I sent him out to pick up the trail of the group two days ago. Where are they now, Captain? The last radio report I received from Romero a few hours before your arrival had the group camped at this point on the map, almost directly under us. You mean we're there already? We are. Come, I will assist you. Yeah. There's a little matter of slipping into a parachute. Rule number one, Captain. When about to make a parachute jump, don't forget the parachute. Uh, here we are, senor. <laughs> Thanks. There is a bright moon. That will help. I just assumed it wasn't so bright, Captain. Too easy for someone on the ground to spot the parachute. See, si, of course. Which means I'll have to drop a long way down as far as I dare before I open the chute. Uh, the pilot is motioning to us, senor. Okay. What's our altitude? His instructions were 5,000 feet. Right. No circling. We don't want to attract too much attention. See? One pass over the area, and I bail out. See? Okay, Captain. Open her up. It doesn't take long to eat up 5,000 feet of space, especially when you drop most of the way with the chute closed. When my count runs out, I pull the cord, then... A jarring jolt as the chute opens. I glide slowly down, straight toward the river. I yank at the shrouds to change direction. So I miss the river, but I land on the top branches of a tree. Next thing I know, I'm dangling at the end of the chute some 15 feet above the ground. That's when it happens. First slug whistles past my ear. Next one chips a hunk of tree trunk. This is no place for me. I unfasten the harness and drop to the ground. I start crawling on my hands and knees toward the river, and then suddenly I freeze. Someone's coming up on the double. I wait. Then as he goes by, I reach out and grab. Hold him, Buster. I'll take that gun. No, wait, 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 wait. You are the American, Mitchell. Yeah, big surprise. No, 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 senor. I am Sergeant Romero, the captain told you. Romero, you? Yes, of course. I'll show you my identification here. I have it in my pocket. I'll reach for it if you don't mind. This says you're Sergeant Romero, all right. Get down. That shot, it came from that direction, senor. From the river. Yeah. You see someone? No, he's probably cut back into the jungle. Oh, see, see. How far are they camped from here? Oh, several miles down the river, near a small village. Come, senor, I have a boat here nearby. It is not far from here, senor Mitchell. Just around the bend. 
How many of them are there in camp, Romero? There are four. The leader, the one with gray hair, is Dr. Stanhope. And there are two assistants. One is called Hodges, and the other is Williams. And then there is the doctor's wife. Wife? She, very young, very beautiful, senor. Ah, there it is, senor. They're clearing near the riverbank. Yeah, looks like someone sitting at a campfire alone. I think that it... See, that is Dr. Stample. Uh, let's pull in the shore here, Romero. You better stay right here, out of sight for the time being. Stick with the boat and keep your eyes open. I'll be back. See. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Welcome. This the Stanhope camp by any chance? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Natives up the river mentioned that you were in the region. My name's Mitchell. Oh, I'm Dr. Stanhope. How do you do? Uh, sit down, won't you? Thanks. Don't mind if I do. Had a hard journey? Yeah. You'd think after being in this jungle for over a month, I'd get used to these hikes, but... Hello. On a holiday, are you? Well, sort of. I'm soaking up some local color doing a book. Oh, really? I envy you. I always wanted to write, but never seemed to find the time. My work and all. Work? What sort of... Research. Butterfly chasers, you might call it. Oh. Traveling alone, Mr. Mitchell? No, my camp's not very far away. Oh. Going to be in the region for a while? It depends. I... Oh, that's my wife. Hello, darling. Have a nice stroll? Yes, dear. Very nice. Sweet, this is Mr. Mitchell. How do you do, senor? Mrs. Stanhope? Mr. Mitchell's a writer. Soaking up a little local color, as he puts it. A writer? How interesting. Uh, by the way, darling, have you seen anything of Hodges? Hodges? No. Well, I thought he might possibly be in the village. Well, I didn't go to the village. Oh. Haven't seen him for hours. Wonder what's happened to him. Well, he's probably with Williams. No. Jim came back to camp a few minutes ago and went out looking for him. Well, don't worry, darling. He'll turn up. Now, if you don't mind, I think I'll go to my tent. I'm, I'm rather tired. Of course, my dear. Good night, Senior Mitchell. Good night, Miss Stanhope. Well, Doctor, I think I'll be moving along, too. Oh, must you really? I thought we might chat a little. Ah, plenty of time for that in the morning. That is, unless you'll be pulling out. Yes, we had planned on leaving early. Might join forces with you. Tag along, if you don't mind. I'm headed for Belém. You? We're also headed that way, Mr. Mitchell. Of course, you're welcome to join us. However, we sort of poke along, you know. We're in no hurry. And... Well, neither am I, Doctor. I'm in no hurry at all. Uh, night. Romero. Romero. Well, I've met 50% of the troop, doctor and his wife. Williams wasn't around, and Hodges hasn't been seen for hours. I don't like that, Romero. Hodges could have taken a powder. I do not think so, senor. What? Look, there, on the riverbank. Hey. I pulled the body out of the river a few minutes ago. That is the man called Hodges. In just a moment, Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment. We now bring you an important announcement for all Americans, particularly those of you who run your own business 
or are in a position to hire employees. This country is now engaged in a gigantic defense program which must be kept on schedule. There's no time to lose. To win, we've got to use every ounce of strength, industrial strength, in this contest to protect ourselves and the free world. That means we've got to give jobs, productive jobs, to all Americans. We've got to hire the handicapped. Thousands of handicapped persons, veterans and non-veterans alike, are ready, willing, and able to work. Thousands of others have proved on the job that when they're properly placed, they do every bit as good a job as their able-bodied fellow workers. So, Mr. Employer, give these folks a chance to help you increase your productive capacity. Hire the handicapped. Help them. Help your business. Help America. And now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. You're sure this dead guy is Hodges, Romero? Oh, see. His papers were in his pocket. He was struck on the head. Yeah. So one of Dr. Stanhope's assistants gets himself knocked off. I wonder if Hodges was the one who was carrying the document. In that case, whoever killed him now has it. Or maybe Hodges knew who has it. Uh. Let's see. While I was talking to Dr. Stanhope, his wife returned to camp. She said she'd been out for a walk. Then she had an opportunity to kill him. Yeah, also the other assistant, Williams, who was supposed to be out looking for Hodges. And he also had opportunity. And there's Dr. Stanhope himself. How do you mean? That left him alone in camp. He could have slipped out here in the brush and killed Hodges. Ah, you are right. Better keep undercover, Romero. I'm going over to Stanhope's camp and break the news to them. assistant is there. I tell them I've stumbled across Hodges' body and they're all properly shocked. We troop back to the riverbank so they can have a look at it. thing like this is hard to believe, Mitchell. Pretty good friend of yours, huh, Williams? Yes, you're the best. It's dreadful. Perfectly dreadful. Poor Hodges. Such a brilliant career suddenly cut off by a horrible accident like this. Accident? Of course. You see, Hodges couldn't swim. He was wandering along those rocks on the riverbank looking for specimens. Obviously, he fell and struck his head and rolled into the water. Isn't that what you'd make of it, Mr. Mitchell? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Williams, what do you think? Well, Dr. Stanhope's right about Hodges not being able to swim. Beyond that, I wouldn't know. I'm no detective. Uh, this poses a problem. Hodges' body will have to be taken to Belém, our destination. Somebody should accompany the body, I suppose. As leader of the group, it should be myself. I disagree, Dr. Stanhope. Why, Williams? Well, this expedition means a lot to you. I think you should continue your research. I'll take the body to Berlin. Uh, no, I'm afraid I can't permit you to go, Williams. If I'm to continue my research, I certainly need your help. All right, you're the boss. In that case, perhaps I should go. You? I'm not needed here. Well, that's a pretty disagreeable job for a woman, Mrs. Stanhope, and a little dangerous traveling through the jungles like this. Yes, I quite agree with you, Mr. Mitchell. Uh, if I could make a suggestion... Oh, yes, by all means. There's nothing any of you can do for Hodges now. Why not let the natives take his body in? Hmm. Well, I suppose that would be the practical solution. Yes, I'll have two bearers carry it to the village. If you like, I'll stay here with the body until you send them. Oh, that's very kind of you. It'll only be a few minutes. Come along, my dear. Very well. Good night, Mr. Mitchell. Good night, Mrs. Stanhope. Thanks, Mitchell. Sure. See you later, William. 
Romero. See. Si. Right here, Mitchell. You hear what went on? Oh, indeed. I was getting a little worried that one of them was going to get away from me. See, si. see. Si. Uh, what is your plan now? We move in closer and keep an eye on them the rest of the night. After the natives pick up Hodge's body, Romero and I settle down in the underbrush where we can watch Stanhope's camp. I take the first watch and wake Romero at midnight. Everything's quiet in the camp. Their fire's gone out. I doze off. The moon is setting when I open my eyes again. I look at my watch and realize I've been asleep a couple of hours. I roll over and look toward Romero. Then I sit up fast. Romero's gone. I scramble to my feet and head toward Stanhope's camp. And I get my second surprise. Camp is dismantled. Everybody's gone. This is just great. I found along the trail around the bend, and there stretched out on the ground in front of me is a body. Romero. 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 Uh, oh, Mitch. Here. What happened? Oh, I heard a noise from the camp. I came to investigate, and somebody slipped up behind me and hit me over the head. You couldn't see who it was? No, no. They've cleared out. They've got about a two-hour start on us. Gained on them substantially by now, Mitchell. Yeah. We've been traveling at a pretty good clip all morning. Get down! Yeah, we're getting close to them, all right. Could you tell where that shot came from? Over there at the left somewhere, I think. Can you see anyone? No. With underbrush this thick, it is not surprising. Whoever it was could be some distance away by now. Yeah, no, I... Hold it. What is it? Flash of white over there in the far edge of that clearing. Hey, it's Mrs. Stanhope. Ah, see, walking through the clearing. And now into the underbrush again. <laughs> what do you know? Well, she's not carrying a gun. She could have ditched it. She seemed to know where she's going. Probably to their new camp. Come on, we'll follow her. Yeah, there's their camp, all right. Mrs. Stanhope and Williams in front of the tent. I'll introduce you as my guide. All right. Well... Mr. Mitchell. Surprised to see me, Mrs. Stanhope. Why, of course. Uh, this is my guide, Senior Romero. How do you do, Senor? Mr. Williams, Romero. Senor. How are you? Where's Dr. Stanhope? Oh, he's been down by the river all morning looking for specimens. I see. Say, uh, were you the ones who were doing the shooting a few minutes ago, Mitchell? Not exactly, Williams. Why? I was walking around when I heard a shot. I decided if a hunter was nearby, I should get back to camp. I see. Well, it's Mr. Mitchell. That's right, Dr. Stanhope. Were you doing any shooting a short while ago, Philip? Shooting? Why, no. I did hear the shot, though. Well, glad to have you with us again, Mr. Mitchell. Are you? Of course. Why? You sort of pulled up stakes all of a sudden last night. Did you forget you'd invited me to tag along with you to Bill M? By George, I did forget. <laughs> the excitement of Hodge's death and all that, you know. Oh, See, when Kara suggested we leave during the night... It I... was your idea then, Mrs. Stanhope. Oh, yes. The heat bothers me. It's cooler traveling at night. I see. We plan to rest here until dark and then resume our journey. Uh, would you like to accompany us? Yeah, I would, Dr. Stanhope. And this time I'll try to keep up with you. afternoon drags on. Towards sunset, Dr. Stanhope goes into his tent to rest up for the trip after dark. Williams is working with a few butterfly specimens. Mrs. Stanhope goes down by the river for a smoke. 
I tag along to keep an eye on her and leave Romero to watch things at the camp. She makes small talk for half an hour or so, and then we wander back. She heads for her husband's tent. I suppose I'd better wake Philip. It's just about cool enough to start now. Yeah. Hmm. Wonder where Romero is. Well, the camp does look a bit deserted, doesn't it? I don't see Williams either. Philip? Hey, there on the ground. It's Williams, un unconscious. Williams. Williams. Oh, oh he's all right. Oh. Mr. Mitchell, but look at my husband's cot. Yeah, some blankets rolled up to look like somebody's lying on it. And the back of the tent, it's, it's slit from top to bottom. I, I don't understand. I think I do. Williams. Oh, oh Mitchell. What happened? I... Came in here to ask Dr. Stanhope something. As soon as I stepped inside, I got hit in the head. Knocked me to my knees. I saw Stanhope slash the wall of the tent and leave. Then I blacked out. Romero must be chasing him. I'll see you later. I take off from the back of Stanhope's tent and start crashing through the brush. Then, all of a sudden, I stop. Something which I noticed on the table in Stanhope's tent and didn't pay any attention to suddenly registers Stanhope's knife in its sheath. I double back fast. Sure enough, there's another trail leading through the brush in the opposite direction from Stanhope's tent. I follow it. I can hear somebody ahead of me, then the noise stops. I stop too, but not soon enough. He's in behind me with a gun. Don't move, Mitchell. Hello, Williams. You're a pretty smart boy. How'd you tumble to the fact that I was lying? You said Stanhope slashed the tent, but I remembered seeing his knife still inside, in its sheath. I doubt if he'd have used it and then replaced it, he'd have been in too big of a hurry. You staged the whole deal to take me off your trail and give you a head start. Bright boy. How'd you get Stanhope out of the way? It was simple. I told him you and Mrs. Stanhope had taken off together. He charged down along the river like a bull. With Romero after him. Pretty neat, Williams. I guess that makes you the boy with the document, but what about the dead guy, Hodges? Where'd he fit in? Well, it started out as a two-way split. I decided to change things. I see. Okay, Mitchell, we're still a little too close to the camp. Start walking. I push on ahead of Williams, knowing that as soon as we get far enough away to suit him, I'm a dead duck. Then I spot my chance. There's a branch of a tree sticking out in front of me. I push it back out of the way, and then suddenly I duck and let go of it. Oh! It hits him in the face and spoils his aim. I whirl the lash out with a lip. Oh! Thanks for the gun. Now, just stand still while I find that document. Yeah, here we are. Look, Mitchell, how about a deal? Sorry, you left all your cards back there on the table with Stanhope's knife. star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. Let me tell you about tomorrow's fine comedy on the NBC Radio Network. Yes, tomorrow you'll hear the Bob Hope Show and Fibber McGee and Molly, and Eddie Cantor will bring you his show business show. There's always entertainment when Fibber and Molly open wide the doors at 79 Wistful Vista, and Eddie Cantor's show business show will present a program of Italian entertainers. Fibber McGee and Molly, Eddie Cantor. Yes, here all tomorrow on NBC. Next week, Havana, a beautiful place. 
to get killed. That will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. It's rare that a show undermines one of its key lines as hard as Dangerous Assignment did in this episode. But really, if Steve Mitchell can say Lepidopterist, is he really going to struggle to pronounce any of the places that he visits? Other than that, though, it was a good, solid episode. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and Stephen Halifax writes, Hi, Adam. Per your suggestion, I send my perfect weekly lineup. Monday, Nightbait Tuesday, Rocky Jordan. Wednesday, The Saint. Thursday, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Friday, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. And Saturday, Dragnet. Uh, well, thanks so much, Steve. I kind of was asking for, like, the favorite lineup we've actually had on the podcast. That one's a good lineup, but we've never quite done that setup. Although any listener who thinks that's a good schedule to listen to shows can just use all our archive feeds to listen through those series through start to finish on the days chosen. Just go over to biglist.greatdetectives.net to see all of the programs we've done. Thanks for the email. And then we have an email from Sarah Jane. She sent in a response to the survey and I also answered some questions she had for a project she was working on and she said, I'd love to hear more on the show about your process uncovering old episodes, archival work, and what has inspired you. Uh, These tidbits always stand out to me. It's great to get to know you better as you also support Uh, the old-time programs with fantastic industry-slash-cultural context. Well, thanks for the question, Sarah Jane. Um, Now, I guess I would say, first of all, just to address the archival part, now there is a very important function of transferring old-time radio programs from reel-to-reel tape or from transcription disc uh, to digitize them. Now, I do not actually do anything with that at all. I don't have the proper equipment. And to be honest, it's kind of delicate work, and I'm a big clumsy guy when it comes to things like that. Well, I have to say that for all of this, we do owe a debt of gratitude to the folks who have those skills and make programs freely available. A big part is just keeping your ear to the ground and seeing what new programs are coming into common circulation among collectors. So that's a big part of it. And of course, I honor whatever agreements are attached to a particular file. If it's a situation where they say, do not share for uh, the file for six months, you won't play it for at least six months, don't share it for a year, I don't play it for a year. That sort of thing. And I guess beyond that, sometimes it just involves going down internet rabbit holes and sometimes finding something interesting in some obscure corner of the internet. For example, I found a couple of files that got posted on one place in the internet 
but never got picked up like into wider collections. And then there was a situation where someone posted a bunch of old-time radio programs with just AFRS, Armed Forces Radio Services, and the number of the post, and I kind of had to go through like, you know, a hundred plus different pages on the internet archive, and I think during one of those, I found a previously uncirculated episode of Police Blotter, which starred Bill Zuckert, and I was able to email his daughter and let her know, before we even played it, that that had been found. So that sort of thing, just kind of going through a lot of different things, you know, trying to find different websites where something might be posted somewhere. Because the internet is a very big place. And sometimes I'll spend an hour going through different things and be like, well, I did not actually find anything for all my searching and researching and what have you. But that's how it goes. It's, you know, some days you just don't get a bite. But is that going to stop me next time I begin searching the internet for something and may find program I'm looking for, or something entirely different that I'll end up using in some other way, no, that that's not going to stop me. In terms of inspiration, I guess for this series, you know, I've talked about what got me started on Dragnet several times, but what really inspired me with this series was, one, I had listeners to the Dragnet podcast who wanted me to do podcasts of different series, and I didn't think any of them were as well-known or as sustainable as a podcast about Dragnet. And then, and then I started to listen to an old-time radio radio station, and I listened to Let George Do It, and it brought back all the good memories I had of watching detective shows when I was a kid growing up, and how much fun I had, and they tended to do things on their uh, radio station where what was played was based on what day it was. So if you were listening to that station on October 25th, you would hear programs within a genre that were for October 25th. The nice thing about the internet is if you hear people doing something one way and you think it could be done another, you can try and do it another way. And I thought it would be much better rather than here's this random program that was played on October 25th to play all the way through a series from start to finish, every episode, so you can see how it develops and how the production changes and what casting changes occur. I will say in defense of that approach, it's not necessarily a bad approach, uh, that they were doing. It's just not the one I preferred. And so I decided to do a podcast where we'd go through uh, each detective series from start to finish. And I also decided we'd be going through multiple detective series at the same time so that we could get as wide a spectrum of listeners as we possibly could because some people might not like one program but uh, then they could go ahead and listen to another. And we'd get the highest number of listeners. And what inspires me to continue to 
do the podcast? I mean, I, I think there are a couple of things. On a basic level, it's a matter of inertia. At this point, we've been putting out these podcasts daily for 14 years tomorrow. Now I'm doing something, and I like what I'm doing. It's great to continue to learn. I talk about things that I care about and that I enjoy doing. I get to learn new things you know, and find out new things, not just from books or old newspapers, but sometimes from your emails. And I'm still hearing episodes that I haven't heard, as well as episodes I haven't heard in many years, which I think is effectively the same thing. And then, honestly, it's a response of listeners who love the program. And that really means so much. When people tell you that what you're providing makes a difference in their life, that they enjoy your commentary. And those type of comments really have kept me going over the years. Because over the time we've done the podcast, there have been a lot of moments of frustration because I've wanted to be doing this content creation as my full-time pursuit. And I think what made it more frustrating is based on the number of downloads and number of listeners we had that it should have happened, you know, years ago. And you start to feel a little guilty about doing it because it's like, okay, you're working your full-time day job and you're not really enhancing the family's bottom line at all. You really need to go and do something that's going to make a lot of money if you're going to be making that commitment of time. But then it's not just the fact that I'm enjoying it, but that so many people have let me know how much it means to them, and I, I don't want to let them down. So we press forward. And we continue to do that. And the fact, the positive comments really get us through all of the challenges and certainly all the negativity. If you're going to do something on the internet that gains any notice, then yeah, you're going to have people just being awful. But for me, the positive support, the encouragement really does help me to keep going because truth be told, the people who really appreciate what we're doing are the ones that I'm making the podcast for. That really keeps me going. Because, you know, I, I've tried a lot of experiments in terms of different content, and there are some things that I have stopped because I've realized nobody is watching, this isn't connecting with anyone, and if anything, I'm just amusing myself, and sometimes I'm not even doing that. But to me, the idea that you're doing something that you love and that people care about and enjoy and makes a difference in their lives, that right there is all the inspiration you need. So thanks so much for the question, Sarah Jane. I hope it answered your questions and all the best on your efforts and the project that you're working on. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. 
Thank you to Mike, Patreon supporter since July 2015, currently supporting the podcast at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Mike. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it wherever you're downloading it from. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment, but join us back here tomorrow for Mr. Chameleon, where... Don't forget, it was still fairly early last night when Laurel Madison died. The coroner says about 11 p.m. She must have put up a struggle, and someone must have heard it. What is that cage over there? That? Oh, that's a parrot cage. Miss Madison had a parrot. She called it Whitey. Well, the cage is empty. When did the parrot get out? There's no parrot here when you found the body, was there? Uh, no, Mr. Chameleon. Mm-hmm. Where is it? But it must have gotten away. Miss Madison often let it out, and the bedroom window was open. Whitey must have flown out the window last night. Mr. Smithers? You know, I think you are lying about that parrot. But I'm not lying. I tell you, I'm not. Mr. Chameleon. Yes, Dave, I'm here. Say, I just heard the darndest story from the woman who lives in the apartment next door. It seems Miss Madison had a parrot. Yes, we were just discussing that thing. About a quarter to eleven, at the time Miss Madison was murdered, this woman heard the parrot screaming, Hello, Evelyn. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.